0: Hello and welcome to the Cycling Central podcast. I'm Philip Gomes today, and we've got a full hand of characters at the desk. We've got Anthony Tan, Rob Arnold, and Jamie Finch Penninger. One can argue it's a sausage fest, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> it's cycling. It always is. It always
0: is. That's the, that's the nature of the sport. But it's changing. It's changing slowly. Uh, today we're g- well. Actually, I'll I'll start with uh, I'll start with you, Anthony. Um, what do you got going on?
1: between last week and this week, not much. Uh, Well, cycling-wise, you know, I punched out a few blogs. I wasn't even sure about writing the one I did yesterday um, about the Americans, given that we've got an Australian audience. But I thought it was kind of interesting because, you know, sort of um, think, who have they got? And we've got this production line and so GB, so the non cycling nations, if you like, out of those, you know, Australian GB, I mean. We're uh, it. Yeah, we're it. Um, and they're not.
0: Yeah. Rob,
2: you're... Uh, so you talk into this thing and then people hear the voice. It's, it's been a, it it's been a, It's
0: been a while. You were at the tour. feels yeah. like
2: years ago that I was in the studio. So I sort yep. of need a re-education on how to speak into this Well, it was June, actually. June. Yeah. And it's September now. Mid-September. Yep. yep,
0: yep, yep. And then I'm next
2: back. month will be October. Okay. So, and so you're
0: putting a magazine to bed?
2: Just finished one yesterday mm-hmm. or the day before, but signed it off at the printers yesterday.
0: And uh, what is the name of this uh, magazine? Because we haven't mentioned that.
2: It's called Ride Cycling Review. Is it's it new? It's very good. New? No, it's 19 years old, would you believe.
0: And how many editions?
2: Um, so this will be the 73rd plus about 14 tour guides in the interim. Yep. So we've been, yeah. So it's a quarterly magazine all about good things in life like cycling. And uh, there you go. I mean, I could plug it a bit more, but just uh, if you, when you see it on the newsstands, I'd appreciate it if you could buy it because that helps keep me afloat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's right. exactly. I mean, that's the whole point. And look, there's there's actually quite a, quite good long form stuff. It's it's one of the one of the interesting things about say the collected media today is that you know we're so heavily focused on short form, and I must admit that I'm part of the problem. If you want to discuss, you know, describe it as a problem because we I do web, mm. and you know our articles by the nature of the of our particular medium. Uh, you know, work best as, as shorter shorter, shorter features and shorter articles. But uh, this is where print has its place, is in providing a space for long-form, um, more sort of contemplative consumption.
2: I think that I put a message out that we'd finished the magazine and someone said, oh, I'm still reading the old one. And to be honest, in we, it's a quarterly, so we put in about 100,000 words in a magazine, which is quite surprising. It's a big, big issue. It's a, it's a book. It's a book. Yeah. But uh, in the current issue, or the one that's just about to be printed, there's an 8,000-word feature by Nikolai Rezaver, which is the continuation of his uh, series of uh, uh, Soviet cycling, what it was like in the 80s. And I think that's been fascinating. And it continues. It's got no end in sight, to be honest. But it's good writing and it's an interesting um, perspective, first-hand perspective of what it was like in the Soviet atmosphere and um anyway print allows that but i also try to you know diversify we did uh some things with sbs at the twitter france this year where we were doing some tech features with uh with cycling maven and we do the podcast and we have online and we do even dare i say we do some twitter once in a while instagram which is driving me batty at the moment Mm -hmm. but anyway that's another story altogether.
3: It was, yeah, yeah. Sorry. it was good to see you on the, on the video. Um, Cycling Maven was putting out some videos at the Tour de France and you're quite the star
2: on, the, on camera. Uh, I tried to keep it cameo. Tried to sort of be in
3: like the background. Hitchcockian.
2: Yeah, like Kitchcockian. Yeah, because it's Mark's gig, you know. Uh, but thanks, Jamie. Yeah, well, i describe you as a sidekick more than a cameo star. Oh, okay. Wing- yeah. Wingman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I basically was introducing Mark to the idea. It was my 20th tour and Mark's first. And that makes a good uh, dichotomy. Is that the right one?
0: Uh, You know,
2: two different perspectives. What's this all about? Oh, I can tell you what that's about. That kind of idea. Juxtaposition. Cycling Maven it was. And that was Jamie who was very complimentary. Thanks, Jamie.
0: Jamie, Finch, manager. Um, Anything else on for you? What's going on?
3: Um, I'm off to the NRS again this weekend down to um, Canberra for the National Capital Tour and I went last year. A lot of fun down there. You get the women, you get the men. And there's um a mass participation well not mass participation it's um you've got a um a through c the grades and it's yeah a lot of a lot of fun going down and watching that racing um there's some there's a really incredibly um you you've got to see it to believe it the prologue because it goes down this massive ravine and people are touching a hundred ks going down at the bottom there and um it's it's just a bizarre um, stage to have a look at, but um, it's amazing racing all the time, and I'm thoroughly
2: looking forward to it.
0: And we're going to come back to you on the NRS uh, shortly.
2: Love riding in Canberra. You're taking your bike. Yeah, I'll take my bike. Yeah, yeah. you're going to sneak out to Stromlo. Uh, well, that's where one of the
3: stage, well, uh-huh. two of the stages are going to end. So. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh.
3: The, uh huh. Uh huh. The Stephen Hodge criterium circuit. Um. It's true. I think yeah, I think it's Mount Stromlo criterium the circuit these days, but no, they changed it up, didn't they? I don't okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Moving <laughs> right along. Let's uh, let's, let's say,
2: I'm oh, sorry, I'm just, uh, I don't mean to dominate. It's just that I'm back in the, in the groove. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What rambling. are we going to talk about, Phil? Yeah. What's on the no, agenda? We're,
0: we're going to talk about the Vuelta to start. Um, so let's get stuck right into it. And we'll start with you, mm. Anthony. No oh, music? Well, no, no music this time. Okay. right. We'll just go straight into it. Um, just uh, for those who don't know, Nara Quintana won the race and... Uh, that was pretty awesome. Good to see him win his second Grand Tour. Chris Froome was second. And Esteban Chavez from America Bike Exchange finished third. Your take on the final week, which is really what we're talking about.
1: Well, I guess just on the whole tour, I thought it was the best Grand Tour of the season. Uh, Froome, well, we can certainly say he, he lost the tour on the stage to Formagar when he was ambushed by... Firstly, Contador and then Quintana and his guys. So, I mean, that was a, a masterstroke, which, uh, you know, pr- people will be talking about 10, 20 years' time. Uh, and then Chavez, you know, coming, doing his audacious move. It's Yeah, as uh, Neil Stephens said uh, afterwards, it wasn't just the tactics, it was also the implementation. You can have the tactics, but if the guys can't, um, implement it, and they execute it. I should say. Then, you know, the tactic is worthless. So, uh, it bodes well, really, really well for OGE. You know, a team with OBE, third, OBE. O, OBE, sorry, yeah. You know, a team with the third of the budget of Sky, uh, pretty much have a fairly similar lineup of of guys. You
0: know. One of the things that struck me in this race, you mentioned, you mentioned three ambush points in in uh, in the vuelta. So one of the things that struck me this time around it was that uh, all things being equal, I mean some of the riders are so close in ta- in terms of ability, talent, training, techniques, the whole deal now. There's very little that separates them really. So in some ways there was an argument earlier about uh, about technology and power meters and that sort mm. of thing which which was uh, initiated by Nara Quintana. But now I'm looking no, at it. No,
2: no. it was initiated by me. No, that's a bit <laughs> indulgent. In, at the tour, <laughs> yeah, one of the questions that yeah, I yeah. asked Chris Froome uh, at the end of the Tour de France uh, in the press conference was a lot of people are going to be speculating about the tour this year. And I know we're talking about the Vuelta, but the, just to bring it back to technology um, and how more or less the, the Tour de France was a procession to Paris and that we understood that Froome was winning. And I said, how would he spark things up a little if he were the race director and then I nominated could we ban power meters would that have an impact on racing and then that's been that topic's been raised again at the Vuelta by Movistar and it's been quite a prominent feature of discussion and And Froome just sort of said that he didn't use his power metre very much in racing, so that in training it's a valuable thing. So I said, but I'm talking about the racing, to animate the racing, how would it be? He said he hopes that they don't ban it. So that's the the winner of the Tour de France's perspective, the runner-up of the Vuelta's perspective, is that he doesn't think it will alter it that much, in that he still feels 400 watts in his legs. But, and I raised that topic in the office the other day and the discussion was around, it's the extra 5%. So you might understand around about what 400 watts feels like, but it's what about when you need to push to 450, when you see the numbers and you're sort of wondering, and it's those, just the minor percentages that make a big difference. Mm. So that does have a play on tactics.
1: Does it's, that make sense? It sounds slightly yeah. hypocritical though, Rob, went because it sounds like he said to you that he doesn't want the meter's banned, but mm. and the same time he says he doesn't use them uh, that much in racing. Yeah, but that, that's pro, that's
2: pro sport, isn't it? Everyone contradicts themselves all the time. But yes,
1: the thing about the
0: Vuelta is it shows that we can talk about power meters all we want, mm. but tactics still matter. That's right.
2: Right. That's so we because point. we had
0: three important mm. points at the Vuelta where the tactics were pretty much everything.
2: And they were racing and, with power meters. They was yes. definitely part
3: of
0: the race. So. Yeah.
2: Mm. So, what would you do, Jamie? Well,
3: I, th- I thought we covered it fairly well uh, last week, actually. But um, I-, I would I would keep power meters in. I think they're just another form of technology. We shouldn't shy away from it. And it's at the moment, Team Sky are utilising it better than others. But I don't see why the other teams can't um, up their game in that area as well.
0: But do we think that? Do we think that what the Vuelta showed—the fact that we had three three points in the race. Where riders were prepared to take a chance. Mm. To me, that felt like a shift, right? And maybe this is something because the tour, we were talking about the tour, and the tour was pretty much a stalemate all the way through. Mm. And it seemed like the riders came into into the Vuelta with a much different attitude, mm. much more different, a much different point of view. And they're prepared to chance it. Is it because maybe the stakes in the Vuelta are considered less than the tour? Or maybe we have seen something that's actually going to happen in the future where we'll, we'll, riders will just say, you know what? I really want third place or, you know what, I really don't care if I finish third, I want to finish first.
1: Well, I think there's an argument for both, Phil, because if you look at the top four, who finished fifth? I can't remember. Tl- mm. Yeah, so if, if you look at the top four, out of those four, they had already, you know, Contador's won seven Grand Tours. You know, Froome, he won the Tour de France this year. Chavez finished second at the Giro. So they didn't have as much to lose as someone who had done nothing previously. I think it might have been a different dynamic. But then, um, you know, yeah, Chavez, is he's, he's young and Froome for is, well, he's, he's, he reckons he's got another four or five tours to France left in him. He, whether he won the tour or not, uh, yeah, perhaps the time of year, uh, sort of last chance to learn for the Grand Tour riders. Yeah, they're prepared to risk more, you could say. So but power meters, power meters, or or not. I I don't I don't know the stage of Miguel. You could. I didn't I didn't see them really looking at power meters that much. I saw just panic, and that was and that's racing. what made it so yeah. great.
2: But it's also the dynamic of the course, and it's clear that the Vuelta organizer. I mean, everyone who goes to the Vuelta just says it's it's crazy. Because you just basically, you get to the finish and you're like, my God, I'm out of breath driving here. And most of the the finishes seem to be uphill and steep and brutal. And, and they must drive around Spain trying to find the, the highest, deepest, nastiest climbs.
0: And, and there was a post-race discussion about maybe toning it down a little bit. Hmm. I mean, do we want that given the fact that the Vuelta threw up what it did this year?
3: I think we can see more stages for sprinters because we didn't get any sprinters on the start line um, at... Well, on the start line of the Welter at all, um, we saw guys like Gianni Mearsman, Magnus Court, both multiple stage winners. I mean, good on them, but they're not the top tier of sprinters at the moment.
2: Uh, th- but when there's a. Usually the Vuelta has a great attrition rate because the worlds are usually closer to the Welter. So it comes to stage 14, 15, and the guys who are in contention for the worlds suddenly, poof, <laughs> they're gone from the. But this year, when you've got uh, what we everyone is calling a, the potential of a, a flat. Sprinters' course for the Worlds in Qatar. Uh, they the, the, so that there is a, the play in the season that works off that as well. You know, like if all of the sprinters did go to the Vuelta, they'd be gone by the two-week mark anyway. Yeah, well, I think that's
3: part of the thinking um, that they wanted to go to the Tour of Britain instead and um, mm-hmm. do the do the stuff there, and maybe um, go to the Canadian races as well, um, Quebec and Montreal. And we saw quite a few sprinters go there, like um, Sagan was there, obviously did very well. Um, I think in terms of racing and what makes it more interesting in the, at the Vuelta, you've got young guys who turn up for their maybe their first Grand Tour ever, who get their um, blooding in the Vuelta. You also get very tired t- um, teammates in the Vuelta. So, for instance, Sky had a, a pretty ineffective team we saw at the Vuelta with um, a, number, a number of riders essentially unable to support Froome, and he was by himself. Um, even a guy as good as Alejandro Valverde is all season. He was good for the first week and a half perhaps, and then started to drop off. So thank God. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's nice to see that there is even some limits, isn't it? Mm. So it was, um, I think that was the, the, that was what we, that was what we, um, that's what drove the, um, more exciting racing because there was, there was that, um, differentiation in, um, training level. So I th- and I think people tend to treat the Vuelta as a bit of an afterthought. Nobody really goes into the season saying, "Okay, I'm going to win the, the Vuelta." You say, "Okay, I'm going to win the Giro. I'm going to win the Tour de France." Then we'll see about the Vuelta mm. after that.
1: Mm. I think, though, from Froome's comments, it seems to me that it will be, got, it will go from an afterthought to being a forethought. He, I, I genuinely think he wants to do the Tour of Vuelta double next year. It's it's it for me. It, it's uh, like I wrote, I, I felt, it, you know, it's it's now possible. I, you know, it hadn't been done before. The only time it had been done before, I think, was when the Vuelta preceded the other two Grand Tours, when the Callum, like, 50 million years ago. So uh, I, I would say that would be an objective. And then if you take out, you know, that... Time he spent, you know, travelling to and from Rio doing those races, and if that was downtime or prep time. And then he came with a stronger team because essentially I felt that the team lost from the race. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah.
3: Well, yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up, though, um, that you believe that they can do the Tour of Vuelta double. Um, I wrote in the preview for the Vuelta back four weeks ago, whatever it was, that um, Before it had, the Vuelta. Yeah, well, it had it, <laughs> been since um, Roberto Heras that um, the, that a rider had actually challenged at both the... um it had gone on the podium at both the um, the Vuelta and the Tour de France, and that now yeah. we've got Nairo Quintana... Um, Doing doing the double there is that the royal that Harass lost as well. Uh, no, it was the one he won presumably? <laughs> but then he lost it. Then he lost it. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, it was a different and, era And then back he went then, on. So then he yeah. went
0: on to win the Brompton World Championships as well. <laughs> well,
2: we we're, we're, talk, we're
0: talking on the road, so <laughs> anyway.
2: Yeah. Anyway. That's the Vuelta, it's done. Well, does it, does they, is anyone emotionally attached to it? Are they like, Oh damn, where where's the broadcast but, tonight? Look,
0: it's hard. It's it's hard, but I think I think there are enough points in the Vuelta to make it interesting. And obviously the, the other major one, I guess, from an Australian perspective, was the performance of Orca, Orca Bike Exchange. Mm. Uh, to me this was a significant race for them. Massive. Right. Um They outside of winning the race, they basically took home all the toys. Mm. I yeah. love
2: the I love the scene when Court wins his first stage, and and Nielsen's I mean Nielsen, um, Neil Stevens is just saying, "Oh bloody hell, we we won the stage! How yeah. it, you know, like we, we weren't expecting that one." Yeah, that, that's kind of fun. That was indicative of uh, of OBE this this September. So here they are, just surprising, surprising with Kerkalier winning a stage, two stages to Magnus Court.
1: Yeah, um, I want to sort of bring up that point that Jamie had about. Um whether the sprinters would go if there was more, it was a more sprint friendly Vuelta. What also occurred to me is that there's just that many races on around mm. the second to third week. So even if there were a lot of sprint stages, I don't know if they'd go or not because sprinters generally don't, you know, when you're preparing for something like the Worlds, and how often is a world sprint friendly and the last time was Copenhagen in 2011. So when the time comes, I don't know how genuinely interested they are in completing the whole Vuelta or, or, or not. And, you know, the, the the top sprinters are always going to target, you know, two of first, uh, Giro second, Vuelta third, and then some of the other, you but- know, sprints oriented classics.
2: We're always talking about throwing a cat amongst the pigeons. You know, do we do a course that's for time trialists or climbers or the ruler or whatever? But why do we have to say that there's stages for the sprinters? The the sprint, the, Let's say the stages that were won by Mearsman or Court or whatever in, in the Vuelta, that's, that's just as compelling as knowing that Greipel's <laughs> going for the line versus... You know what I mean, versus Cavendish in, because in, it makes it interesting. In, it's a lottery and, and, and in a bike race you need to be engaged and entertained rather than just watching a bunch come forward and then you think, oh, here comes Cavendish, there he goes again, he's in the front, oh, he's, there we go, done. Where at the Vuelta you're watching you're thinking, who could it be? Who really could it be? That makes it, that you need cycling to be compelling.
0: Yes, and and I think that's what it was a, the surprise in the sprints is what mattered. Yeah, right. That made the sprints interesting because yes, we were we didn't have those super organized sprint trains, much more of a free for all. So yeah. and it's interesting because uh, just bringing it back to, to Orca Bike Exchange again, yeah. is that in many ways that suited them with somebody like Court because it meant that they they seem to be able to, to to really capitalize on these uh, to be on these more in, inspired moments than a lot of teams they just seem to like you say just oh, oh we won by accident mm. you know so yeah
1: oh, i think what make if i just if you just look at the whole cycling season today what's i i don't usually watch or the stages of each grand tour but i almost have this season and what made it interesting for me uh was that yeah you had guys uh, i'm not so interested I, I don't even care if i see how much I see Froome on Contador. I like seeing when they're they're racing. But you know, if you look at the Giro, who who would have predicted that you know Steven Kratzveig might have won that that race and the the uh, the competition you had between him and uh, Chavez and Nibali. I think okay, the the tour was the tour, but then this Vuelta, yeah, with the you know, 10 hilltop finishes does sound ridiculous, but then again, it, it, it almost did come down to the wire.
0: Mm, yeah. I guess it's
1: also uh, just to change topic, but hold it on
0: course.
2: <laughs> there were a couple of opportunities change to watch.
0: And continuity. There were a couple
2: of <laughs> opportunities to watch the <laughs> 2 to 11 year stages this year. And and I did and I found it really fun because you know of these guys that are coming through the ranks and there were quite a few Australians in the mix and uh, we won a stage in the final week and yeah, we came. Yeah, Nick, Nick Schultz won a stage. And, and, and it was interesting, but it was fun to watch because you had no idea really what their strengths were. So you didn't know who was going to come to the fore. Whereas if you're watching pro cycling at the at Grand Tour level, you have an understanding of who's in the field and who can, we can expect to come to the front. And how it how it will play out, but the eleven year made it was really interesting because they're all these young guys, and it's basically what makes it's not amateur racing, but it's what makes the the under 23 and the under 19 races at the worlds so great to watch because it's just like juniors. Mm. Let's
3: just go for it. Yeah, um, actually, Tony, you you mentioned your blog um earlier and what the next generation of Americans going to be. If you're going to look for the next generation of Americans, look at Adrian Costa and Nielsen Powers who. Both did really well at the Tour de l'Avenir. I can't quite say it properly. But L'Avenir. L'Avenir, Tour de l'Avenir. That'll do it. Anyway. Right on the money. And um, <laughs> f- for Australia, I mean, we had Lucas Hamilton come second on that final stage. He's a great climber. Michael Storer is an absolute beast on the on the bike. He's going to be one to definitely um, pencil into your notebooks and keep it, in, keep it in there for a while.
2: Yeah, really. And I think it shows that there's a real... Uh Emergence of climbing Australians, you know, it used to long ago, it used to be always sprinters, you know, in the Hank years, Hank and Robbie, and uh, you know, this, this sort of ilk. But now the names that you've just mentioned, Lucas Hamilton and Michael Storer, they put on a great show in the Tour de l'Avenir. It was fun to watch, you know. And even though they are power meter watching and they're riding on watts and they know what they can put out, and they, they went over the Côte de Plan on that last stage and they went to La Tussuire and and it was... So there were significant climbs. But it still was engaging to watch. But I think that what you've just said, Reminds us is that Chavez came from 11 year Nara Quintana came from eleven year. Now we've got Australians climbing well in eleven year. They're not just winning time trials or, or whatever. So I think Damien Housen in the past has had a few good eleven years, and, and if he hasn't, he's certainly had a good Vuelta, uh, blah, blah, blah. There's-
3: well, yeah, well, Jack Haig's probably the... Best, um, best performing Aussie in the Tour de Lavinia in the past. He's finished second um, second once. And I think Robert Powell was third mm. before that. And th- those two, another, another uh, two really good climbers who are um, going to have a big future in front of them.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mean to stick the boot in too much to American cycling, but if you look at, (laughs) I
2: will now because. Can you paraphrase your piece so that so that I understand what you're talking about? I didn't read you.
1: Oh, basically, you know, you look at the performances of uh, Talansky at the Volta, he's he's carrying on like he almost won the race, you know, you know, and then you've got Van and... You know, finishing fifth in 2012 uh, and 14, And uh, those performances don't really inspire any confidence in me. And then if you look at Trek Segafredo and Canada uh, Drapak, you know, the two American teams, who, who have they hired for their GC guns? World? Well, Trek is hiring Contador and Canada. You know, they're now banking on this young kid called Hugh Carthy, you know. So for me, that's indicative of you know, you've got American or American-based teams n- not having, a, you know, an American... I'm not saying they definitely should like just like OBE have uh, Chavez, but at the same time, you know, you, you do see these young guys like Halson. Halson could be a, a great GC rider. But writer. he's not going to be. You don't think so? No. Okay. I, th- I, think,
0: I think he's he's set. Because, mm. again, we, this comes back to OBE's performance during the Vuelta. And, mm. uh, you know, I think Damien... Damien showed that he is a, just an incredible bike rider. He, you could make the argument that he's still too young to know exactly what he, what he, what kind of rider he can be. But I think it's it's clear what direction he's headed in. He's he's a wingman. He's a super domestique. He's that's who he's going to be.
1: Yeah, for me, for me, it's a bit too early to make the call. I mean, Jack Haig, you know, the, these guys for me that the the jury's still out what what those those guys can do
0: okay well th- this interesting it's an interesting discussion actually it allows us to kind of segue into something Jamie wrote about uh, just today on the website which is a bit of an update on what's been happening with the National Road Series and it's significant because these writers that we're talking about the Australian writers specifically have all ridden uh, in the National Road Series at, at some point I mean Jack's been very prominent in the past so uh, tell us what's actually, tell us what's going on there, because this is super important, I think, f- mm. for Australian cycling development. And right now, it just seems that we're nowhere near making any progress.
3: Yeah, well, I'll give you the history rundown. Um, back in June, June 11 uh, of last year, 2015, um, there are a number of races um, announced that they wouldn't be running in that year. And at that stage, Cycling Australia... Announced uh, a review process would be undertaken, and <laughs> I and I caught up with Nick Green at the at the um, at the road cha- uh, the road nationals in um, Ballarat and. Put the question to him how... Cornered him. You cornered him in the start line. Oh, yes. I I, I know there's some... Put the the, pressure on. As as
0: you can corner someone who is about 12 foot tall.
2: Investigative journalism.
3: Yeah. Well, well, anyway, so it's about the only antagonistic interview I've I've ever done, actually. (laughs) And um, I put the question to him how it was going. And I was surprised to learn at that time that nothing had happened um, at all with the review. And... And that (laughs) that was when? That was in January. That was in January. We're in September. And... um, since then, they've announced a working party which has oh, some good. pretty it has some pretty good names on it, um, and from a wide variety of um, cycling stakeholders, and and that has been going quite well from what I've heard. From what I've heard, and I've got some quotes from Andrew Christie Johnston. Um, John, he's part of the working party. He's part of the working party. John Layton, who's also part of it, and there was a quote from Kevin Ru- Kelvin Rundle, who wasn't part of it, but he was giving the team managers' perspective um, of the women's teams and. And just telling what what it was like trying to prepare for a season without knowing what's going to happen <laughs> next year, which you know is a is a nightmare because you're trying to outlay the money at this stage of the season, you know, to looking forward to next season. You don't know if it's happening no. yet. You don't know what what's going what's going to be part of it. You don't know how many race days you're going to be doing. You don't know if you're going overseas. So it's a bit of a
2: it's a bit of a cluster schmozzle at the moment.
3: It's and a it's- lost
2: season, a fully completely destroyed lost season for the NRS. Like yeah, It has no. to be. And someone has to start being held accountable. No. Everyone's just shy, but just gun shy of, of accusing anyone of of not managing the role. Nick Green's been in the role for, a, what, a year now? We To get him on the phone and to hear him speak about the NRS is to hear a politician just give you garble. I, I, you get nothing out of it. And, and it's a, there's got to be a point where someone says, come on, make a decision. We need to go forward here. It had some momentum, the NRS, and Jamie... Is it, is it that momentum continuing or not? Um, well, as part of the piece, it's stalled at the moment, essentially. Stalled there, is very polite.
3: Yes, I, I know, I was, I was pulling my punches there. I think. <laughs> uh, it, essentially, there are good things happening in the NRS. We, we've seen it time and time again. There's really good level of racing, but the race days really aren't there to allow a rider to develop. We're seeing uh, riders having to go overseas, doing the smaller races in America, in Asia, in Europe, and trying to get those that um, bulk of racing that you need to develop as a cyclist up and.
2: But it's the you know, cyclists I- you're talking about. Let's talk about the race promoters. I've spoken to a lot who have been involved with the NRS and they have, I know one who recently hosted an NRS and he had I- zero support from basically, effectively... He'd never spoken to Nick Green, had never heard from many of the people involved. There's commercial operators, apparently, at Cycling Australia who, who don't communicate with the race promoters. How the hell are they going to have a series if they don't do that?
0: Yeah. And, and uh, you know, getting back to the performance of these young riders at, at a race like the Tour l'Avenir, this, to me, is... The NRS is, is basic stuff for a national governing organisation like Cycling Australia, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Because there, you can draw a straight line from the NRS to... That's right. Tour L'Avenir, mm-hmm. and then subsequently from there to the World Tour. Mm-hmm. And this not only applies to road cycling, by the way, this also applies to every single discipline that CA has uh, uh, responsibility for. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like this this elementary stuff is just not being done. Now, I mean, obviously, we understand that the organization has funding issues, etc., and there is a lot of work to be done to kind of turn this ship around, but we just need some sort of sign, and we're not getting those signs, are we?
1: No, no. And then also you've got mountain bike. You know, I was contacted by the after I wrote that piece on the NRS, I was contacted by the president of Mountain Bike Australia. He says a high performance. There, there is no high performance unit really with mountain bike, given that the number of mountain bike guys you've had from well from a mountain bike pedigree going to road. Mm. You know, there's. He he told me there's something that they they. They get a tenth of the funding of road and and track, so there's and then lies another problem. For, for me, the NRS is symbolic of a more of a. There's more off season than on season, if you like, and uh, I I can't really see it being improved actually because Nick Green, yeah, he's he, he's done jack.
0: It, it's it's interesting because um, in Jamie's article, the 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 quote that I pulled out was the one from Andrew Chris, Christie Johnson. And I think he's, he's talking a little bit more holistically, uh, not super specific, but what he said was Cycling Australia has a large budget, uh, just over 19 million in revenue last year. Uh, they'll probably say that it's not that large. We need to refocus on where to invest the money, maybe away from things like the Olympics to the NRS, where we already develop a lot of top level athletes and have the potential to grow the talent pool even more, which will help us at the next level as well. At the moment, the funding seems to be on hoping we do well at the Commonwealth Games, Worlds, and then the Olympics, and hopefully our professional riders do well overseas. So the public turns on the TV for maybe one month to watch the Tour de France, and then that interest is lost.
2: Well, bravo, Andrew, because like I think that it, I started a discussion about the, the 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 pointlessness of the Olympics, and it's <laughs> it, in in cycling terms, and mm. I, I it's. I can't conclude it because it's v- far too long. And it's, uh, it sounds very negative just to say that it's pointless. It's not pointless. I love the team pursuit. I love the road race at this year's, the both road races at this year's Olympics. I, there, there's so many things about the Olympics that I find engaging. But when uh, on the first weekend I tweeted, I love the Olympics, I hate the Olympics. I love the Olympics, yeah. I hate the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, I, that's how I feel about it. When it goes on, it, when it's good, it's great. But when it's... Um, uh, but when everything is pulled into that as the end goal, there's a big problem. I, I absolutely agree with Andrew Christie Johnson. Is that we have to have to change the funding model, and that's not Nick Green's fault. Everyone who's getting funding at the moment is is endorsing that the funding spend is correct because they get they're keeping their jobs. They're going to say that, of course. Anyone who's going to going to say that their employer is doing the right thing, but. Uh, it's got to go to the Sports Commission who provides the funding and the Sports Commission has to say, what do we want out of our funding for sport? And my take is that it's much better to have school children being able to race their bikes and get the love of cycling and feel fit and, uh, and, and, and get all of the benefit of sport. That's much better than watching one person stand on the podium once every four years or a team or whatever. A gold medal is worthless if there's no cycling in sport. I mean, in schools.
1: I I think it's too big (laughs) a topic to canvas in a 15-minute discussion. Uh, Yeah, but, uh, you know, would, would those guys who are graduating from either the NRS to World Tour or AIS to World Tour, would they be able to do... Sorry, would, would the guys who are graduating from AIS to World Tour, would they be able to do that without the NRS? And I, I would say no.
2: There would be a bigger pool of talent if there were more people riding bikes. Mm. I, I, will, I will say this on the general topic. Um,
3: NRS, we've seen guys like Richie Port come through there. We've seen guys like Pat Bevan um, come through. Um, more recently, Chris Hamilton is going is going off to, um, going off to the World Tour as well. Um, that wouldn't happen with, without the NRS being present. Um, on the Olympics, I do I do fundamentally agree with you, Rob. Um, we spent thirty four million dollars um, trying to get the high performance athletes at, at the Olympics over the last four years.
2: And a, a lot of that, let's be clear, it, it benefits the World Championships, and yeah. there's been a hundred World Championship medals across the board since the last Olympics for Australian uh, para uh, athletes, mm. Paralympians, and and uh, yeah, and and uh, you know able bods and everyone. But Mm. they should say that the world championships are a priority. Yeah, I mean, and it is, and it isn't quite that priority at the moment.
3: I was speaking. I mean, I did an interview with um, Beck Weiszak not so long ago, Mm. dual world champion, and um, she was absolutely gutted to miss the Olympics because that is what everyone is building towards and what everyone um, has been told. This is your, um, this is the one moment in four years that matters, and. Um, I know you got Luke Davison um, at at ride um, now,
2: and yeah, he works for me. He's a yeah. world champion. And uh, exactly, he, and he didn't get selection for the Olympics, and he had to get on with his life. Mm. And it's <laughs> and it's just
3: so much pressure into that one moment, and we've we've seen that you know careers are made and broken on that moment. And if you and if you go into road, for instance, you've got mm. an entire season where mm. you know if you fail one week, okay, you pick yourself up, you do you do okay the next. I mm. mean, it's not it's not quite as you know, cutthroat, I suppose, and it's a bit more of a healthy community, I think. And
1: That's the nature of the beast that is track cycling though. if you try and get some of these sports psychologists at the AS or whatever to try and convince the athletes that ah, uh, you know, the world championships is you know, it's 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 really important and, you know, don't put so much emphasis on the Olympics. They 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 won't believe that i mean it's 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 not going to happen i mean this is simply they they're saddled with their situation by the, the their choice of profession sorry well mm.
2: Uh, I'm sorry. You unleash. Well, you a, you make, open a can of worms
1: yeah, if you yeah, talk yeah, about the
2: Olympics with me in the room. I'd, yeah, yeah. Because it, it. Well, it, it I'm, is I'm, I'm, good, I'm, but it's also so bad. Like the I, hangover from Rio is. I, I've forgotten about Rio altogether. I, I,
0: and look, you know, I'm, I'm a noted Olympic basher, so it's you know, I, I don't think much of the games anymore. There was a time in my youth where I was I was very much motivated. Uh, by the Olympics and really look forward to it but I think as time has moved on um, I think the entire event all sports across all disciplines maybe with the exception of track and field um, uh, athletics uh, the olympics has lost a tremendous amount of relevance and i think i think that
2: you're spot on it comes with age
0: yeah and, mm-hmm. and look we understand a little bit more about the complexities of of how the olympics works and and really what it draws out of cities and and, and nations and, and it's it's all become too much it's too big it needs to be scaled back it needs to be refined um make it
2: amateur game, and again. i think i
0: think what it does to sport is to many sports, individual sports, if we look at cycling specifically, is it distorts priorities. Yes, That's what it does. And that's probably my main objection to the Olympic Games uh, as it relates to cycling, is that it has distorted the entire sport and it does that once every four years and I just have never felt that that's acceptable. I just don't think it's acceptable anymore. So anyway...
2: I watched oh, Chariots of Fire again recently. Which is a brilliant... Watch it. It's, yes. just, it's totally worth yes. watching because just f- because it <coughs> sort of goes back to the the core roots of what the Olympics ought to be.
1: Yes. Well, but, you could make the same argument that you made, Phil, about the Tour de France, really. It, 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 you know, that's, that's, a, that's a beast in itself. Okay, it doesn't come once every four years, but really the, the, what you're saying is not so different to it, it's, those people who... Who almost don't watch the Tour de France because they think it's just too big, too circus like.
0: Yes, I know two kids
2: <laughs> in my house. I really want to move on. I've got guy. two, I've <laughs> got two young kids, and they were totally engaged by the Olympics. They loved it, and and they loved it because they got to watch all range of, of sports, you know, diving and gymnastics and all sorts of things. But but cycling is is it, it just it's diluted at the Olympics. It's it's I don't know. it's... Which he had like it was very noisy in our house for the team pursuit
0: okay. final. Okay, so we got a little bit messy here with with this discussion about the Olympics, but we were actually talking about Australian talent. So, I think it's I think it's important we discuss uh, one specific Australian specific Australian talent, which is uh, Matt Goss, who's just announced uh, uh, just at the weekend that uh, that he's retiring at the age of twenty nine, uh, not without a significant um palmares i mean he's won milan San Remo in 2011 which is pretty bloody significant and uh, has placed second at the world championships where he lost probably by what the tires with to mark cavendish mm. um what are we going to say about Gossi? i mean how are we going to look at his career
1: uh well when you just said 29 then i think that uh, says a lot it says he's he had a lot of good years, perhaps even his best years ahead of him. But for, I don't know, he talked about tendonitis, he talked about lack of motivation, uh, all all these things. I mean, this is, these are all these elements which make a a great cyclist. And at one stage or another, he, he, he lacked the elements to, to make a great cyclist out of himself. And so, Uh, anyone would be or not i shouldn't say anyone but many cyclists would be happy with that career but then also it's it's definitely a career left wanting
0: but it's interesting because in in the piece that we've got on the site i I might take issue with that a little bit though tanny because he he described himself really more as a working class cyclist rather than a a rider with supreme talent Mm -hmm. Is, is, is that is that a good a good way to look at him Or is it, as as Kenny says, a talent wasted?
2: I think the Goss example is a part of a broader discussion as well, is what is to say, and we've talked about it before with, um, I can't think of the example at the moment, but there's plenty of guys who have come along and had heaps of talent and just decided that they didn't want to do it. And what's to say that just because you're really good at riding a bike that you have to do it as a job? Eventually the time comes, like Luke Davison in my office, where you just think... Okay, I've had I've ridden my bike half my life, and I'm going to go and do something else. And Gossie's would, I'm sure, if he was winning, he'd be, you know, still more engaged by it. But the motivation must ebb and flow. And and spoke to Richie Port not so long ago, and he loves his job, he loves riding his bike, but as soon as he's finished, he's probably going to walk away from cycling because he's, you know, he doesn't really enjoy the greater picture of pro cycling that much. Mm. And I think there's plenty of examples like that, and I don't. I don't know, I think it's it's odd to assume that 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 Gossie ought to continue because he was once good.
1: But this this is the No,
2: odd. it's not odd. Sorry, that sounds rude. <laughs>
1: yeah. Isn't this I mean this is just the nature of your job when you're doing a job 5 days, 6 days, 7 days a week or whatever, you are going to go through ebbs and flows. So mm. it's a matter of getting through those to to also realize the good moments and this is Part of the mentality of those who manage to have ten-year careers, pro careers, versus you know ones who have five years and or fifteen years or even twenty years. So, uh, you know, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, Goss only know he knows himself better than any of us, and uh, you know, it's perhaps yeah. I mean, he's he's got another what at twenty-nine years old. He's got he's got forty years worth of work ahead of him whatever he chooses to do yeah might be out of cycling I mean it's interesting that Rob mentioned Richie because yeah I also heard uh, about his good mate Froome apparently he he wants to go back to Kenya after it's all it's all done
2: so yeah right I I think you know if you're talking about matt goss going early one name that springs to mind is dale parker he's one of the most gifted athletes in the ais registry you know he's absolute phenomenal junior talent uh uh, i think he got a commonwealth games gold in india young kid he basically retired at age 20 uh super talent held the world record in the team i mean an individual pursuit for a little while um, was signed up to live strong uh, whatever that became that team that Armstrong had sort of backed no strong and um, and and he said oh, I've had a gutful I want to stop and he did it just promptly immediately and he stopped and apparently Armstrong when he was before he'd been you know um, exposed for what he is he was and he was still considered the superstar of cycling he was um, encouraging Dale no come on come over to Texas I'll fly I'll pick you up at the airport I'll, I want <coughs> I want to see you on a bike so you had great encouragement for this guy and he just didn't want to do it that's okay and the same applies to Goss it comes a time you just don't want to do it anymore
3: I will say I don't know Matt Goss personally but it is becoming a more um more prevalent issue in cycling we see uh, Campbell Flakemore um, yep. in the past Good call. year Perfect example. and Cameron Meyer also climbing off the bike and they're and they're all um, highly regarded talents at, at stages of their career, and it's it is a bit disappointing to see it. I mean, because you you've seen these guys do their do their absolute best, and you enjoy watching them cycle, and um, to to realise that they're not part of the pro peloton anymore, it's disappointing from um, my personal perspective as a spectator, as a fan, as a journalist, because mm. um, I enjoy watching them. Um, so. I don't know if we, if we need to give them more support or anything
2: like that or if it's just personal choice, as you, as you say, Rob. But um, Well, the assumption of a progression is, is, is indicative of how we cover pro cycling. Uh, and, the, 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 you know, CJ Sutton doesn't race a bike anymore. He's got back injuries, he's no longer a pro, and he's just back in the workforce. He's doing DS for State of Matter on the weekend, actually, so I'll see him down in Canberra say hello okay we'll do <laughs> but there's you know I, I I don't know it's interesting to sort of reflect on Goss's career I can say that I remember meeting him when he'd just done the World Cup uh, Madison with Simon Clark and they were young guys and I called him Harley in the magazine because that's his middle name and and uh, and we laughed about that and, and 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 then I watched Matthew Goss go from young whippersnapper who's do anything to get a pro contract he was super keen super enthusiastic loved the sport got involved won a few bike races came second in the world we know all of the results mm. um and 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 then got a big 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 contract f- for the first few years of uh, Orica Green Edge or was just Green Edge at the time and that was bought a Ferrari and that was probably the end of him as a bike rider <laughs> really the, so, the, 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 yeah, he so, should have got a Tesla. That's the moral of the story. I think that the moral of the story is that don't buy a sports car. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no I, I, Matt I, Goss is no longer a bike rider because he bought a sports car. No, that's not right.
1: No, I, I used to think when these guys did retire early or didn't even start in the world tour as Flakemore did, you know, it's, oh, what's wrong with them? But now with age it's allowed me and then perhaps working in the sport for two two decades I've realised yeah you, you do want to do something different like I, I mean I'm at the stage where I still enjoy cycling but I, I wouldn't say I, I love it I mean you know, when I see Rob you know I, I see so much passion there I, I really do whereas I've turned it down where me <laughs> I, it's not even to do with Armstrong or anything like that I, I mean I, I just enjoy doing other things like for example Next month, you know, I'm forgetting everything about Cycle. So I'm leaving the country. I'm going to India. So nice. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I should have there's told you. There's a lot of you. cycling
0: in India, by the way. Yeah.
1: So I, I, I don't know. You, you just got to do other things, and it, there's nothing wrong with doing that. You
2: yeah. can go. Yeah. We talked about a year ago about Lachlan Morton, or was it two years yeah. ago? Lockie's Three correct? years ago. Actually, I mean, no, like he's, he's a good he, example. He, he goes and he now he lives. He's found the love again. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm. And I, th- I think this. Look, it's, it's. Uh, yeah, it's about, it's about that love, but it's also about. It's possible that these writers, somebody as young as Camel Fleckmore, like somebody more mature um, uh, like, uh, like Gossie, just come to a realization that there's more to life. Mm. They, they become different people. I mean, you do grow. You do change, mm. et cetera. And you tend to put these things in a different context. And you start prioritizing. You say, well, no, actually, this is important to me. Mm. Right? And then all of a sudden, that thing that you loved, that you loved deeply, is no longer the most important thing in your life. So, you well, know, you don't sti- love you it anymore. come to it
2: late. I think it'd be nice, next time we do a podcast, can we replace the discussion about Matt Goss to the discussion about, let's say, Beck Weissack. We talked about her. She's fascinating because she came to the sport late. She got success late. She was... It, 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 I, I would... You know, we talk about Matt Goss because there's an assumption because we could, because there's something happened in his career. But similarly, something's happened to Beck Weissack. She's the reigning two-time world champion. And she didn't even get a look in at the Olympics. And uh, for me, I'd love to have her in the studio to, to answer many of the things that we've talked about. She's been involved with the NRS. She's been involved with the Olympics, in a, in a sense, on the periphery. She's been involved with, uh, NRS, with, with funding from Cycling Australia. She has great insight. She's witty, smart, intelligent. And, and, and she could offer a lot for this conversation and she could give us a perspective of the athlete's perspective of what you want. As well as the journalistic perspective, because she's got a degree in journalism, blah blah blah. I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, if you want to, Just listen, let's if get
3: you wet want to listen to her, Rob, listen to my podcast. She was on my last episode with oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Pat Shaw. Sure, so. we, we plug the magazine. Yeah, What's the yeah. name of your podcast, please? Uh, Breakdown podcast. You Breakdown. can find it on um, iTunes on all major stores. So yes. Well, we Are need, we done? For we, we, let's
1: we wrap it up, oh, man. I don't yeah, have yeah, a yeah. podcast. Yeah. I've got nothing to plug, No, I've got no... If we keep so, talking, I'll just yeah, yeah, go yeah, off we, on yeah, another tangent. Just, yeah, just that's
0: right. shut up, everyone. We, we've already done like 48 yeah. minutes of this thing. So anyway... I found
2: Zwift Island. Should we talk about Zwift Island? No, no, I we'll, love actually, it. I'm totally hooked.
1: It's great. so much fun.
0: Okay. Sorry, folks.
1: <laughs> the Where only thing you? I like on an island. I actually been getting into Survivor, Survivor, <laughs> Australian Survivor. You, if you haven't watched it, it's really quite good.
0: Okay, and on that note, we don't. I don't have anything to anything to. Uh, Maybe
2: McGossie should go to Survivor. He's got the beard. Yeah, he yeah.
0: would be fantastic. Yeah, we can just give him a basketball.
1: Like, and uh, if he like doesn't, Hanks on, if he doesn't know. get into that, yeah. go Big Brother.
0: And on that note. We don't have anything to uh, promote this week. Our next uh, live event will be will be uh, Giro Lombardia, and then um, following following from that will be the World Championships. But uh, so Lombardia
2: it, before Worlds. Yes, before Worlds. Oh, what a strange yeah, right. season!
0: Yeah. So why does anyone oh, follow
2: no. pro cycling? Okay, it's so we're, it's so
0: let's,
2: silly. Let's
0: let's really get this wrapped up before we, we hit fi- <laughs> yeah. the fifty minute Shut mark. Shut up, Rob! Right. <laughs> so we're going to be back in two weeks, uh, and as you can tell, we've been in very discursive and conversational mode today. But uh, that's also a good thing to. have. in a a podcast. So let's uh, say goodbye now and we'll see you in a couple.